Well, good morning, everyone. Andrew's got me thinking about my favourite nativity character, which costume I might come in at Carol's in the car park. Maybe shepherd number three, perhaps. It's very good. Looking forward to seeing lots of adults dressed in their favourite nativity costumes. Well, um, Dana Reeves' life didn't turn out how she expected. You might remember her husband, Christopher Reeve. Um, He was uh, in some of those early Superman movies. He's basically like the Chris Hemsworth of the day, I reckon. He was a big star, chiselled jaw, talented across the board. Life was looking really good. But then, as you may know, in a horse riding accident, he became a quadriplegic and spent the rest of his life in a wheelchair. Now, at one point early in his rehab after the accident had happened, um, Christopher quietly whispered to Dana, maybe we should let me go. But Dana said, I want you to know that I'll be with you for the long haul, no matter what. You're still you and I love you. See, Dana's life after that point was basically spent looking after Christopher. It wasn't what she'd planned, but she stuck with him. And I think we look at that story and stories like that one with a sense of admiration. It feels right, even though it's not really how the world often measures success in a life, it makes sense somehow. We think there's something good about that. That's because faithfulness is at the heart of our universe. Our God is a faithful God. Faithfulness, being steadfast in a relationship, coming good on your obligations as part of that relationship. Now, the amazing thing about our God is that he himself takes the initiative to set up a relationship with people. He brings people into relationship by by speaking, by making promises. When he saved his people from slavery in Egypt, um, back in the Old Testament, he said to them, I'll be your God, you be my people, and and this is how it's going to look. And then he gave them a whole bunch of laws to tell them what it meant to live as God's holy people. God is always faithful in his relationships and we're made to be faithful to him and this passage today tells us that faithfulness to God actually means faithfulness to each other that is how we relate here amongst us in this church family that actually matters to our relationship with God he cares about that deeply this um this series over the last few weeks we've been looking at this book of Malachi, uh, which is set when God's people were decidedly half-hearted in their worship of him, about 400 years before Jesus' birth. And the passage today is about that half-heartedness in relation to each other. Um, If you're following along, um, there's an outline in your, um, what you got handed when you came in. So, we're up to that first point there, faithfulness to God and faithfulness to each other. Look there at verses 10 and 11. It sets it up with these two questions. Have we not one Father? Did not one God create us? God's reminding them that they together have been brought into this relationship with Him. God's not just started a relationship or lots of relationships with individuals. He's the Father to a family and He's the Creator to a new people. So, how that people relates to each other matters. The Israelites were profaning the covenant, it says there. That is, 
They were being unfaithful in their relationship with God, but look how, by breaking faith with one another. They were unfaithful to each other, and that meant unfaithful to God. And Malachi refers to a particular example of the way they were breaking faith with each other. As a community of God's people, they were divorcing each other, breaking faith, and instead marrying people uh, who worshipped completely different gods from the surrounding areas. And that meant, as a nation, that Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves, it says there in verse 11. See, the whole land of Israel was supposed to be a sanctuary, supposed to be the Lord's special place, a display of the Lord's faithfulness. But their breaking faith with each other wasn't doing that. I was, um, I was in the city the other day, and even though it's only December 1 today, shops have already started uh, getting ready for Christmas, putting up their Christmas displays where they pack their windows with whatever goods they're, they're trying to flog to us for presents, uh, with tinsel and, and uh, fake snow to make it Christmassy. And what they're trying to do, they're trying to say, this, what you see here on the outside, you should come in the store because we've got some more of this in there. And that's kind of what it was supposed to be like with Israel. They were supposed to kind of advertise faithfulness and say, the God that we worship who dwells with us is faithful, you should come and meet him. But that wasn't really happening because they were breaking faith with each other again and again. And this is really the story we see all the way through the Old Testament. Um, And once more here in Malachi, people being unfaithful to God, and in this case, by being unfaithful to to each other. And so Malachi, he was the last prophet to be sent to the people before God would do something about all this unfaithfulness. And this is important because we're like these people in Malachi in many ways, but we're unlike them in a really important way which is this, we have already been faithful. We have already been faithful. That doesn't sound right, does it? How how does that work? Well, God makes a new covenant with his people and in this covenant, he's faithful to us and he's also faithful on behalf of us. See, God comes into the world himself in Jesus Christ, that we're looking forward to celebrating at Christmas. He comes into the world himself and then is completely faithful in his relationship with God and in his relationship with other people. He never broke faith with anyone. And then he offers us the chance to be in that relationship if we believe in him. So, unlike Israel here in Malachi, we know that our faithfulness is already assured because it's not our faithfulness It's Jesus' faithfulness that we're riding on if we trust in Him. Rather than less motivation for us then to be faithful to each other, that gives us more motivation, knowing the depths of God's faithfulness to us even more deeply. We have so much more motivation to mirror that then in our relationships with each other. As God's people, that is our purpose, to mirror faithful relationships. Uh, I've been doing a bit of touristy stuff lately, showing some international visitors around. And we were on the, uh, down at the harbour the other day and there's uh, all sorts of sailing boats that go out. Um, and uh, a large sailing boat has a kind of a large crew and everyone in that crew needs to be doing their job, whether that's pulling a rope or everyone's standing on the right side of the boat so it doesn't kind of tip over as they're sailing along in a high wind. Now, if you've got crew members who are doing other things, like playing on their phone over here or 
trying to do a handstand on the boat over here. Don't ask me why. It would be a weird thing to do. But if you've got crew members doing all these different things, then the boat's going to probably capsize, or at the very least, it's not going to sail. And that affects the whole crew, even those who are doing it, even those who are trying to sail the boat. That's like us. As God's people, we have a purpose. We're trying to sail somewhere to mirror God's faithfulness. Faithfulness, it's a key characteristic of God's people uh, because it shows who we are and who God is. So what, what does that kind of faithfulness to each other look like? Well, what does breaking faith look like? We're up to, up to point two there if you're, if you're on, the, on the outline. We could apply, I guess, a study in faithfulness to all kinds of relationships that we're in, but the examples that, that our Malachi uses here are to do with marriage. Now, marriage is shown in the Bible to be a lifelong faithful commitment between a man and a woman, so deeply connected that uh, they're described as becoming one flesh. And so marriage comes to represent and actually turns out to be based on God's faithful relationship with his people. Um, It's seen in God's relationship with Israel. If you've read much of the Old Testament, you will have seen that God's described as a husband. And then that relationship is fulfilled in the relationship between Christ and the church. God is always faithful. That's the idea behind marriage. And of course, amongst us, uh, there have been many experiences with marriage, sometimes our own, sometimes um, our lack of marriage, marriages within our family, marriages um, of friends, um, lots of joy and for many painful experiences as well. None of us have perfectly played out the intention for marriage. But in a world where marriage is being kind of redefined, both legally and in our, I guess, moral consciousness as a society, we need to keep this ideal of marriage uh, front and centre as a guiding light for us. So let's look at the situation in Malachi. The situation is this. The Israelite people, they're divorcing wives who were fellow covenant people to marry those who worshipped other gods. It's a situation that strikes right at the heart of what faithfulness is supposed to look like, especially in marriage. We'll look at the, um, the aspect of divorcing the Israelite wives first, which is kind of in the second half of the passage there. These men were, were breaking faith by essentially divorcing out of, I guess, convenience. Although convenience is probably not the best word. Perhaps a better way of saying it is that they just had self-serving reasons without any consideration for the one that they're supposed to be equal partners with. Now, there are interested, uh, there are instances where we're given reasons that divorce may sadly be justified. For instance, Matthew 19, Jesus talks about sexual immorality as a possible reason that divorce may take place. In 1 Corinthians 7, which we had read earlier, Paul talks about a scenario where someone becomes a Christian, but their spouse doesn't become a Christian, and then the spouse decides to leave them. And that's a scenario where divorce may happen. Uh, And, I mean, there's instances where, uh, at least for a time, separation is vital when one uh, marriage partner doesn't feel safe uh, in the presence of the other, or the children don't feel safe. There are scenarios where divorce is allowed, but it's not commanded. The tenor of each of these passages is not to look for loopholes and say, oh, this is a scenario where we could do it and this is a scenario. No, it's, it's rather to say the intention behind marriage is faithfulness. Stay together. That's the whole point of marriage. Divorce is not the intention for marriage. 
even though it sometimes happens. Look at verse 14 there. It says, you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. It's unfaithfulness to an actual covenant, the marriage covenant. It makes promises, the promises and obligations of this relationship really clear. Um, Wedding vows today say, until death do us part. It's supposed to be lifelong. And God is a witness at that covenant. In the same way that he's bound the people to himself and the people to each other in a covenant, he's also bound an Israelite man to his wife uh, by covenant. And now he's witnessing the deliberate breaking of that covenant. Divorce is like ripping apart some things that are supposed to be together, things that are supposed to be one. You can see in verse 15 there, it seems to be picking up on this idea. Has not the Lord made them one? Divorce, it's, it's always a tragedy. Marriage is supposed to be lifelong. So divorce has to be a, a failure in faithfulness somewhere. Somewhere along the line, one partner or both, there has been some kind of unfaithfulness. And in Malachi's instance, the unfaithfulness is really obvious. These guys, they're looking at their Israelite wives and they're saying, I just don't want to be married to you anymore. I would prefer to be married to that exotic woman over there. Have a look at, um, at verse 16 there. Now, unfortunately, the translation that you've got there kind of gives us the wrong idea about this verse. The translation in the 2011 version of the NIV is better. So I'll read this one. It says, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. The man who hates and divorces his wife does violence to the one he should protect. That is, this scenario isn't about a man whose wife has been sexually unfaithful or who wants to leave him. It's about a man who hates his wife. That's who we're talking about. These men are divorcing fellow covenant people because they just don't want to be married to them anymore. See, when Christians divorce each other flippantly, it calls into question the nature of God's commitment to his people because God's relationship to people is described like marriage. His people are supposed to be faithful like him. Today, in, in our society, divorce is presented more as an unfortunate but relatively normal part of life. It says that when the, the uh, emotional fire of romance fades or when you just find out that person isn't who you thought they were, then the marriage kind of naturally peters out and ends. But it's, it's not natural. Divorcing the wife of your youth, it's described as doing violence. It's not the natural end to a relationship you're sick of. It's, it's violence to the one that you're supposed to be working in partnership with protecting. On the other hand, a lifelong marriage testifies to the, wor- to the world the amazing truth that Jesus will never forsake his bride, never leave his wife, the church. A lifelong marriage, despite unfaithfulness from both partners at different times, holds strong in the promises. It illustrates that Jesus will never leave his bride, even though there may be times of painful distance, of tragic unfaithfulness on our part, Jesus keeps his promise forever. Marriage is a sign to declare God's love. And so divorcing the the wife of your marriage covenant, that's bad enough. That's only half the story for what these guys were doing here. Have a look at verse 11. 
Judah had broken faith by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. Now, I need to make this clear. It's not about marrying foreign women as such. I've recently married a foreign woman from the United (laughs) Kingdom. Thankfully, that's not what Malachi is saying here. We have other examples um, in the Bible of foreign women taking on Yahweh as their God. Ruth, for instance, was a a Moabitess, but she left her gods and started worshipping the God of Israel um, as she married an Israelite man. So it's not a racial thing, it's a spiritual thing. The issue is marrying people who remain devoted to worshipping whatever or whoever they're worshipping. Now today, the daughter of a foreign god uh, would map onto someone who's not a follower of Jesus, someone who does not belong to the Lord. Um, Paul talks uh, about a, a similar scenario in 1 Corinthians 7, but a little bit later on past the part we read. Um, and this is what he says about who a widow could consider marrying. He says, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. He must belong to the Lord. Think again about the intention of marriage, right? lifelong union, partnership. If you've got someone who's not worshipping God, they're worshipping something else, whether that be the, the literal God of a different religion or whether it be um, a God of money or popularity or definitely themselves. If you unite with that person, then that person is pulling in the other direction to you and to the covenant people. It's a bit like, I don't know if anyone's seen the cartoon Cat Dog. Cat Dog, as you may understand from its name, is a crazy fictional character beast with a cat and a dog connected like Siamese twins. And it, it makes for much hilarity. When, you know, the cat always wants to eat the mice and avoid the water. The dog always wants to uh, run away from the mice and swim in the water. Cat dog, they, they pull in opposite directions all the time. That's a bit like what it is when you have an unbeliever and a believer being married. And it's more serious than a kid's cartoon. It's actually called here a detestable thing to God. In verse 11, it's detestable because it means uniting two things that are completely going in opposite directions. Um, Marriage makes two people one flesh. And also because it's effectively putting God in this uh, association that he despises. He's the father to this uh, marriage uh, that's going on and the other father is, is a foreign God, something that he completely despises. Look at verse 12 there. Malachi says, despite whatever offerings such a person may bring, he should be cut off from the tents of Israel. Whoever they are, from the poorest person to the priest to the leader, whoever they are must be cut off. You can see how seriously God takes this. And it's it's just as serious for us now. Thankfully, though, we have one who stands in our place, who is cut off for us. So failure in this area, like, like any other, doesn't mean immediate and ultimate exclusion from God's people, but opportunity for repentance. But just as seriously, as a community, we have an obligation to encourage and warn people who are considering this kind of decision, because it is serious, because it it breaks faith with one another. We're all hopefully urging each other towards more wholeheartedness to God. And a decision to marry an unbeliever is at least illustrating a half-heartedness towards him. What about beyond that decision, though? What about if you married a non-believer in the past? 
I don't know how, how you'd feel about that decision now. It could be some time ago. But it's really clear what you need to do now. Stay married and use that opportunity for faithfulness. Others here might be married to an unbeliever through other circumstances, having recently become a Christian themselves or um, having a spouse who you thought was more committed than they actually are. Those of us married to unbelievers through whatever the circumstance, the advice is the same. Stay married, use that excellent opportunity that you have, that unique opportunity you have to show the Lord Jesus to your spouse through faithfulness. That's what uh, 1 Peter 3 tells us. And you have a role in this church family to help others think this through. Because while it is a great opportunity to witness, um, it may well make faithfulness to God and his people difficult in some ways. There'll be a tension when you say, the one I love most is the Lord Jesus. And your spouse says, wait, isn't that that me? There may be tension in the time that you, you choose to spend at church or small group. You might have tension in working out your finances or what to do with children. You might have tension in choices about how you get involved in different ministries. So if you're not in that situation yet, it'd be unwise to head in that direction. What about those in other situations? How do we remain faithful to each other? Well, if you're not married, uh, consider who or if you get married using this framework. What will make me more wholeheartedly devoted to God? And how can I help others do that? Who can I help be more wholeheartedly serving the Lord? This will influence who you choose to date too because dating is is generally directed towards marriage. I've seen lots of friends over time who are sort of a bit lukewarm in their Christian faith. They choose to to date a non-Christian and then slowly they become less committed to church, less committed to Bible reading, less committed to their own prayer life less committed to whether the Bible really does say that, and they just sort of start drifting away. I've I've seen it happen lots of times. You may choose by choice or by just a situation to remain single, which is excellent. You You can wholeheartedly serve the Lord as a single person. Of course you can. That's actually Paul's recommended state. That's what the Lord Jesus himself did. Um, Being single has difficulties, but also has huge benefits of its own. If you're married to a believer, then invest in your spiritual life together. Wholehearted devotion to the Lord, that's what you were made for together. You've been bound together with someone who has the same aims as you, going in the same direction. So practice faithfulness together. And if you're not a believer yourself and have not yet asked Jesus to be faithful for you, then perhaps today's the day. Put your trust in the one you can actually depend on to be faithful. See, these people back in Malachi's day, they were trampling on God's covenant to them by their unfaithfulness to each other. How great it is that we can rest in Jesus' faithfulness on our behalf, but how demanding it is to mirror that in how we relate to each other. It's like we're we're sailing that boat. We don't want to have some of us over there, um, you know, dating non-believers, going in that direction, or others tripping other people up by breaking promises they've made to each other, or people just dragging their hands through the water by being less than wholehearted. We need to be faithful to each other. 
but it's, it's difficult, it is a challenge. So Malachi actually says twice in this passage, he says, guard yourself in your spirit so you don't break faith. Guard yourself in your spirit. Guarding is, is deliberate, concentrated. I remember seeing um, those funny dressed guards in uh, at the Tower of London, they're in the Buckingham Palace and so on as well with the hats. They look comical, but to do that, you have to have been in the military for some huge length of time. You have to be highly trained. You have to know what you're doing. You have to be focused. They're guarding something important and it's not just that they've wandered in. All of this stuff, everything that they wear is directed towards this purpose. We're guarding something. Guarding is a serious thing. And so we need to be deliberate about it as well as we guard ourselves. How do we do it? Here are a few ideas. Guard yourself by being careful, thoughtful and prayerful about relationships here within the church family. We've just talked about Malachi's kind of example of marriage relationships today. But faithfulness to each other extends to all our relationships. The promises we make to each other, the way we look after each other. Take faithfulness seriously. We can help guard one another. Now, perhaps within a small group or if you meet up with other people through the week, can guard each other by asking questions, um, perhaps about parts of life where temptation to break faith will be the strongest. Guard each other in that way. If you are married, guard yourself by deliberately working on your marriage. Go on a marriage course or um, just be proactive together. Guard yourself by listening to God's word again and again rather than the counsel of the world. The world tells us that faithfulness doesn't matter but God's word tells us that it does. See, when we see examples of faithfulness, we really appreciate it. We get it because that's key to how our universe works. Our God is a faithful God. He starts a relationship with us and he stays faithful. He is like a husband who, despite our wandering, despite our unfaithfulness to him, is steadfast, calling us back and indeed coming to find us. Let us grow in faithfulness like his. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. And we're really sorry when we break faith with each other and with you. Thank you for sending Jesus to be faithful on our behalf. Father, we pray that uh, now you would give us strength and courage and wisdom to remain faithful to each other.